Hello, and welcome to another episode of Best Picture Rewind, the special series here on Oscar Central, in which Lex and I discuss previous Best Picture winners during the Oscars off season. How are you doing today, Lex? I'm doing great. Um, I managed to make a West Virginian delicacy of a pepperoni roll, and I'm just riding on that high of knowing I made my home state proud using store-bought ingredients, which feels all the more fitting for West Virginia. Um, but excited to talk about, uh, this movie. That sounds really good. Now I really wish that I had a pepperoni roll. Um, but I am also excited to talk about this movie. I think this is one that in our, like, first episode I mentioned is one of my all-time favorite Best Picture winners. So I'm super excited to talk about it. Um, if you don't know from the title, which I'm assuming you all read, uh, today we're going to talk about All About Eve which was written and directed by Joseph L. Minkowitz, um, produced by Daryl F. Zanuck. Um, and it's actually based on a 1946 short story called The Wisdom of Eve by Mary Orr, but she actually did not receive a writing credit in the film, um, which is kind of sketchy. But it stars Betty Davis, Ann Baxter, Celeste Holm, George Sanders, Gary Merrill, Hugh Marlowe, Thelma Ritter, and Marilyn Monroe in one of her first roles. Uh, it is about this like ambitious young fan who sort of worms her way into a Broadway star's life uh, and basically attempts to take over her life, um, both professionally and personally. And it premiered on October 13th of 1950 in New York City. It received very positive reviews whenever it came out, and it is still very beloved. It is part of the U.S. Library of Congress's National Film Registry, and is frequently listed as one of the best films of all time. And it made $8.4 million on a $1.4 million budget, which is pretty impressive. Um, but Lex, what's like your history with this? I Was this a first-time watch, or had you seen it before? I might have seen it before. Um, as someone who loves like golden era movies historically, um, I love Betty Davis. I love uh, Marilyn Monroe. Um, I have obviously seen, um, or this obviously was the kind of movie that I was kind of naturally drawn to. And I, I want to say that I saw this in high school, like when I was in my peak. I had this phase in high school where I was really freaking obnoxious. Um, I could end the sentence there. Um, phase, LOL. I'm always obnoxious. Um, Not true. It's, mm, um, but I want to say it would have been around that era where I was really into like looking at the classics. Um, I watched all of Audrey Hepburn's dis- or discography, LOL, filmography. Um, and then I moved on to Marilyn Monroe, and I think actually that's what drew me to this initially was that this was um one of the first roles that Marilyn Monroe ever um booked. Do you know what it actually would have been now that I'm thinking back on it? I know exactly what it was. Um, my love what? of NBC's smash is what led me. Oh, here. okay. Yep, that um, makes sense. Because I was like, Marilyn Monroe, Perrin versus Ivy. I'm gonna go watch all the Marilyn Monroe movies. Um, and so that feels right to me. Yeah, which, you know, given that this is kind of centered mostly around, like, Broadway, um, very in line of what I would enjoy in a film. Um, And so I really liked it. It had been a minute since I'd seen it um, when I watched it in preparation for this. Um, But it held up. I still really liked it. And, you know, you really can't go wrong with Betty Davis. Um, So, yeah, no, this is this is definitely more of a hit for me. I also think I first saw it at some point in high school. But I distinctly remember 
the last time I watched it before watching it for this podcast was in like early 2019. I had been on a trip to London and the day that I left, and I'm still mad about this, the day that I left was the day that the All About Eve play adaptation opened at the National Theater with Gillian Anderson and Lily James. And obviously I was very upset to be missing it because of my love for Lily James. And so on the plane ride, I was like, oh, I'll rewatch All About Eve in in spirit of not being able to to be at the Nash to see the the play. And I was like, oh shit, like this film is, is great. Like, I truly think this is one of those all-time great movies. And I think part of that is that it definitely appeals to me, like you were saying, because it is so centered around Broadway and around these themes of like, artistic ambition and what that does to your personal relationships and I think that it actually is such a compelling plot and it's one of those things that like if you sort of go into it not knowing all of the the plot points of it I can see how like whenever this first came out it was like a really thrilling watch um but even going into it like knowing what's gonna happen it's really sort of delightful to like watch Eve become more and more open in her like nastiness um and how like horrifically ambitious she is um I think that films like this I find really fun and to compare it to another best picture winner in some ways and this is going to sound like a weird comparison at first but in some ways it reminds me of Rebecca um in that the villain is this woman that like you can't for most of the film you can't put your finger on what is so off about her and all you know is that, like, something's not right. Um, and it sort of doesn't reveal itself until until later. Um, I also think that the ending to this film is really interesting in the whole, like, idea of the cyclical nature of, you know, someone being this big, bright star and someone else coming to sort of take over that role. And, and I think that, you know, we're both obviously Taylor Swift fans and she has written a lot of music about this idea of the ingenue and what happens when you no longer are the like shiny new thing and someone else comes along to take that spot and where that puts you and I think that's a lot of what the character of Margot Channing is sort of dealing with in this um I also think this film is really fascinating just because it has so many really complicated female characters and you know for all that like Eve Harrington which is also I'm not gonna lie, this is my first time seeing it since watching Stranger Things. And, and I was you like thought about Steve Harrington. I did, I did. Okay. Um <laughs> I was like, you'll understand that. Everyone listening might be like, Nicole, what? Um, but you know, for all that, obviously Eve is like sort of horrible by the time we, we like see her true self. She's the um, anti-Steve. She really Steve is gets she, progressively better. Eve yes. gets progressively worse. It's true. Also, Eve Harrington really said, hi, it's me. I'm the problem. Um, but Margot Channing is also a very complicated, like, not entirely, like, morally righteous character. Um, and it's funny because you're watching it and you know that, like, she's actually right about Eve. But at the time that she's saying a lot of it, Eve has given her, like, no reason to believe any of this yet. Um, so she does kind of seem like she's just being like a jealous, bitter woman. Um, but that whole big speech that she gives about like femininity and what it means to be a woman and how like 
to get ahead in your career, you have to give up parts of yourself that sort of define femininity is obviously very rooted in like a 1950s like idea. But I do think there's some truth to that idea of like to get ahead in a business setting, women often have to sort of take on what are considered like masculine characteristics, even if those aren't like what they naturally are. And it requires some sort of like, you know, sacrifice of yourself, um, which it's interesting to see a film in 1950 talking about that. Um, and we also get sort of this example of Miss Caswell as played by Marilyn Monroe, who is this other sort of up and coming actress. And we see how she's also trying to sort of play everyone around her to be able to get where she where she wants to be. And I think it's... um we often sort of think about Hollywood as this very like cutthroat world but I don't think we think about you know obviously like I'm not going to say that we don't think of Broadway as being that way but I do think that like we have this idea of the theater world as being more of like a community where people want to help each other and whatever and this definitely shows sort of a, a darker underside to all of that for sure yeah I know that we we pulled like a smash comparison, but like in this essay, I will compare all about Eve to Glee. Uh, <laughs> is I mean, just like in thinking about female ambition and mm, what people are willing more to do smash to get ahead. There's not a lot of female ambition. I'm just thinking Rachel Berry specifically. Like, yeah, but the thing about Rachel Berry is she wouldn't show up seemingly innocent <laughs> she you would immediately that's fair there actually is a whole episode of glee when rachel books funny girl yeah very prophetic um and <laughs> no santana kidding. is um gets cast as her understudy and rachel acts as if santana like choked her kitten yeah. um and so yeah no it's i feel oh, like i see i see rachel berry as a very like margo channing character like she is clutching in and not willing to let anyone sort of uh take that from her yeah but even that i don't know you you should watch play <laughs> you should watch play um you should watch smash first but then you should watch play yeah yeah i do need to watch smash um but yeah i think that this is an interesting um film to be a best picture winner for one thing because it is so heavily female focused and that's something that I feel like we saw in a lot of the early best picture winners that has sort of faded away and I I feel like yeah, yeah we have much more like male focused films yeah I do think like especially for the time right of like the early 1950s the fact that this is such a female heavily led film the fact that it would get the accolades that it did um feels very i mean now, like watching it as is the case right like you watch most movies from this time period and inevitably you're gonna see things where you're like oh that didn't really age well uh and this was definitely no exception but um i do think for the time this was a pretty progressive movie that it yeah kind of speaks to where women were in that particular period of time especially in a period of time where it wasn't you know we talk about <clears throat> the problems with 
women being too ambitious today, but like in the 1950s, it was obviously way more of an issue. And so, you know, to have a movie that kind of discusses that and discusses and has like a, has leading female characters who are very career driven and not necessarily focused on love or family or like the expectations of, you know, like one of my favorite movies of all time, notoriously, is White Christmas. Um, But if there is one thing that I always take issue with with that movie, um, it's and it doesn't ruin the movie for me, obviously, because I've seen it more times than I can count more times than I've probably seen any other movie. Yeah. Um, my parents don't listen to this podcast. So I'll say I watch that year round. I don't just watch it at Christmas. Um, but if there's one thing um, that kind of drives me a little crazy about that movie, and that would have come out around the same time, a few years off of All About Eve, is that it bothers me that like you have Betty and um, Judy who are establishing a pretty good career for themselves in the entertainment business. And Judy is like, well, Betty's not going to be happy unless she's taken care of. And recently I was thinking about the interesting dynamic of obviously that movie's got the two parallel lines of you got Bing Crosby and Danny Kaye and then Vera Ellen and Rosemary Clooney. And the rhetoric that Danny Kaye uses to kind of push um Bing Crosby's character Bob to um find love is like you are super successful and but you're miserable and you know finding love would make you happier whereas with um Vera Ellen and Rosemary Clooney um Betty and Judy the narrative is more you need to find a man to take care of you so they're both on the same kind of track but the rhetoric's very different right and so it's interesting to watch a movie like this where those aren't really the conversations happening and it is truly just women allowing themselves to be successful and sure it comes with its hardships and its plights but you know that's not necessarily like what motivates them um yeah yeah I think in that again and also the fact that it's kind of like a little bit of a thriller um I think is really fun I've always liked that about this movie I truly watching it, like, even though I knew what was going to happen, there were moments where I was expecting Eve to, like, pull a knife out on someone. (laughs) Like, if she had started stabbing people, I would not have been that shocked. Um, But yeah, and I think, you know, to to go back to the White Christmas comparison, there's also this idea that, like, with Judy and Betty, that, like, when they get married, when they get their relationships, they're going to, like, give up the act and settle down or whatever. And even with this whole thing about, like, oh, Margot Channing's willing to finally, like, marry her long-term boyfriend, whatever, um, there's no implication that she's going to, like, stop acting. Um, She's going to stop taking these, like, ingenue roles, but it doesn't seem, at least to me, like, her intention is to give up acting altogether. And I think, like, that's another thing that makes this film so progressive for its time period and... um, like you said, there are some things in it, obviously, that are not aged well, but there's also not as much in it as I expected. I kind of expected it to be a little bit worse. Same. All right. So this one is an interesting one to talk about with the Oscars. Um, so this was the 23rd annual Oscars, and it was held on March 29th, 1951, and hosted by Fred Astaire which I knew that you would Love appreciate. I know. Um, All About Eve got 14 nominations, which is insane. Um, Sunset Boulevard had 11, Born Yesterday, and Samson and Delilah both had five. Uh, and All About Eve was nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actress twice, 
Best Supporting Actress twice, Best Supporting Actor, Best Screenplay, Best Art Direction, Black and White, Best Cinematography, Black and White, Best Costume Design, Black and White, Best Film Editing, Best Scoring, and Best Sound Recording, uh, which is kind of insane. And then it won six, Sunset Boulevard won five, King Solomon's Minds, um, and Samson and Delilah both won two. I am not familiar with either of those two movies. Uh, and then it won Best Picture, Best Director, Best Supporting Actor for George Sanders, uh, Best Screenplay, Best Costume Design, and Best Sound Recording. It is still the only film to ever have four female acting nominations, two in Best Actress, two in Supporting, and it is also the first film to have multiple nominations in a single category, which is something that we see occasionally these days. Um, obviously, like we had it this past year, but it was the first time that ever happened, which is kind of wild. It's um, it's weird to look at this because I feel like every time we get into the history of the Oscars and the particular movie we're talking about, I have like a certain idea in my head of like what I feel about the Oscar, how the Oscars go. And then like I actually look at like the full list of everything nominated and then I'm like, oh, actually, no. So, I mean, like much like um in previous like much like when we did my fair lady and i was like wait mary poppins was nominated um the way that i'm looking at this and i'm like sunset boulevard was nominated and i'm so sorry i do love all about eve sunset boulevard is one of my favorite movies of all time uh okay yeah i I wondered i freaking love sunset boulevard um i'm not an andrew lloyd weber girly i love the musical (laughs) Um, and so I would easily like many apologies to All About Eve because I do love All About Eve. I would give Sunset Boulevard best picture. I would give it best director. Granted, mm-hmm. I've not seen the other three nominees um, for best director. I would. Um, I've not seen the film Cyrano de Bergerac, but that's one of my favorite plays. And then obviously mm-hmm. I love the movie Cyrano. So you know what? I'll keep it. Um, though James Stewart was nominated that year for Harvey, so just kidding. Yeah, giving um, <laughs> it to James Stewart, my boy, my love. Um, and I would give it. I would give Best Actress to Gloria Swanson for Sunset Boulevard. Yeah. Um, I'm not mad at George Sanders winning for All About Eve, so I'll keep that. Um, Sunset Boulevard won Best Story and Screenplay, so All About Eve won Best Screenplay, and Sunset Boulevard said, "Yeah, well, guess what." <laughs> story and screenplay so it's okay um and i'm trying to look and then sunset boulevard won a lot of, like it won best score as it should have one of my favorite scores of all time um yeah. it won uh art direction again as it should um it won see i'm surprised that sunset boulevard wasn't even nominated for best costume design but at the same time edith head mm-hmm. designed the costumes for all about eve so i'm not mad um because right. i also love my girl edith head um, she won two awards that year because she also won best costume color design color because she's a legend um yeah like i really love all about eve i think it's a great movie and it's very much in line with the kind of movie i would like but i just love sunset boulevard too much um i'm not even a huge billy wilder girly but yeah. I love Sunset Boulevard. Um, the only other like movie I've never seen this. 
But the um, 1991 uh, Father of the Bride is one of my favorite movies of all time, too. Mm-hmm. And I knew that it was a remake. Um, they keep the last name of Banks in it, um, except this guy's called Stanley. And then um, in yeah. the Steve Martin one, he's George Banks, because um, Martin Short says George Bonks. <laughs> yes. Yes. Is in... I was recently watching that and when they're like leaving to go to the wedding and Steve Martin's like, Frank, where are the cars? And he's like, where are those cars? Um, my mom. And what I- a movie. I, I- I've i seen the Spencer Tracy one and I do like it as well. And it has Elizabeth Taylor playing the daughter, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think I prefer the 1991 version with Steve Martin, but it's, it's just, I mean, Nancy Myers, you can't go wrong. Um, who wrote the screenplay? Didn't direct it. I know my I know my Nancy Myers films don't come for me. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it's just it's hard again. I love All About Eve. I don't want to discredit it. It's it's hard for me to say like in terms of it being a good, fine, or or bad, fine, or great best picture win. It's really hard for me to say because it's like I don't take issue at all with it being a best picture win, but when one of your top 10 favorite films was nominated against a right that makes it harder hard to like comment on it too much so have you ever seen born yesterday because i haven't i have not but it's directed by george cooker yeah i still question that and um, stars judy holiday who i do like it, it feels like an us movie that's why i was yeah. asking um that feels like the one from this year that I'm like I need to catch up with that one um okay I have questions for you though because we have two categories here where we have two people nominated in them from this film who if you if you only could like vote or if you had to kick one of them out or whatever um who are you picking first Celeste Holm or Thelma Ritter for supporting actress um I think I'm going Celeste. Okay, I'm going Celeste, but I also think that's because, and hopefully you'll understand this, you're the right person too, she kind of gives me the same vibes as Vivian Vance in I Love Lucy. Yeah, I could see that. And thus, I really like her, but I also think she does a really good job sort of providing a, like, foil to Betty Davis. Yeah. Um, In what is, like, arguably not an easy role. It would be easy for it to become, like, a nothing role, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but I do love Thelma Ritter in this. And then, okay, Ann Baxter or Betty Davis? Um, I mean, I'm not mad at either idea. I don't know. I know, listen, I love Betty Davis. Who doesn't love Betty Davis? Icon, <laughs> legend. She is the moment. I really actually think I would give it to um, Ann Baxter. Okay, same. Like, Just And I was trying to figure out if that was controversial. Able- the way she's able to like there's a I feel like a bit more layers to her performance because there's this progression of you know obviously um Margot has her arc and she kind of goes through this journey but Eve has this like descending into madness and you and these layers of like you think you know someone on one level and then it turns out to be another thing and so i just um do you know i'm so sorry i don't mean to get us off track but that is what i do on this podcast if not every podcast (laughs) i ever go on ever um 
it's interesting. I'm wondering, right, if there was. Mm-hmm. I, I hate to make this about Stranger Things, but another thing I'm going to besides derail a podcast is make it about Stranger Things. Excellent. There's almost a part of me, I don't know, I don't want to give, like, the Duffer Brothers as much credit, but there's a part of me that wonders if, like, Steve Harrington's name was intentional in the sense that, like, it is kind of the same thing of, like, this is not the person that you, when you first meet them, yeah. you have, like, a particular impression and it turns out to just not be who they are um and again like we said for steve it's a backwards or or yeah backwards regression of steve listen it's um it's we need to tweet at the writer's account and be like hey and did you name nancy wheeler after the mean girl and are you there god it's me margaret um let us know but um it's adam and eve not all about steve Uh, (laughs) I wasn't ready for that one. Anyway. Um, but yeah, no, I actually agree because I think that like with Anne Baxter, you have this element of her playing a character who is playing a character and you, as the film progresses, start to get like slips of that in there where she's starting to sort of reveal her real self, but like not entirely. And she has, I feel like more sort of big dramatic scenes and she's doing a bit more to me it really sort of feels like and I don't want to like slight Betty Davis's performance in this because I do think it's a good performance but it does sort of just feel like Betty Davis doing Betty Davis yeah and I did read that they went through they had like several actresses that they wanted before they ended up on Betty Davis and whenever she got the role they like sort of rewrote parts of it for her um to be like more like um sort of abrasive and more in line with like her sense of humor and everything so it really does sort of feel like this was not a stretch for her not that I'm saying that I didn't think that Ann Baxter was like talented or something but it does feel like more of a like exercise in acting um than the role of Marco right no I completely agree yeah um is there anything that it wasn't nominated for that you feel like it should have been. I'm trying to figure out like, what did it miss? Um, it's, it's in that weird period where we have the like split of color and black and white in some categories, mm-hmm. um, which makes things a little bit weird. I'm trying to figure out, did it get everything that it was like eligible for? I'm pretty sure it did. Which is impressive. Yeah. I also did not realize until I was looking at this that this is the year of the animated Cinderella film, which there Great. wasn't the animated category, but it did get nominated um, for, Best what is it, for? Song. Yeah, for Best Bibbidi Score Bobbidi in Boo. Musical Picture. I gotta which say, is like, the score in Cinderella is my favorite Disney score. Yes, it uh, is gorgeous. And if, so... Here's a fun little story. Um, okay. This is my favorite story to tell in the world of all stories. Some okay. Disney, some Disney adults gonna listen to this and be like, "That's not true." Well, I watched it on PBS, so don't take this up with me. Take it up with PBS. That just really sent me. I'm really obsessed with Disney history, and not necessarily in a Disney adult kind of way. Though I I do I do admittedly like Disney, there is just something about 
because I feel like Disney kind of shaped how I mean obviously it wasn't the only thing but I think Disney was one of the biggest catalysts in how we view movies today absolutely consume movies today and yeah. so I just have always found Disney history very interesting. And I, I like to read it. I like to watch PBS documentaries on it. <laughs> so Disney, the first animated film that Disney made was Snow White, right? That was in, I think, 1938, 1937 or 1938. I can't remember. I think 37. Sometime, sometime, in, sometime in the late 30s, right? It was the first full-length animated film. Full-length films, period, were really not so much a thing anyway so like you add the idea of a full-length animated movie everyone is like this is not gonna work they called it disney's folly they were like disney with his cute little cartoons is gonna go out of business and all the animators are like ha 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 it was good while it lasted may as well go out and do this freaking movie and then just pack it up boys because we're out of a job after this well lo and behold clark gable freaking cries during Snow White's premiere. And every and Disney looks around. He sees like grown ass men are crying. Over the fact that this girl is sleeping in a glass box. And so he's like man. I just broke cinema. I'm going to win an Oscar. He doesn't win an actual Oscar. He wins an honorary Oscar. With seven little miniature statuettes. Presented by Shirley Temple. And he's like this is a joke you are making me a joke so he's like that's fine i'm going to win an oscar well um he puts out next is i can't remember the order it's either pinocchio or bambi doesn't matter which is next because both didn't do great compared to snow white and then you know they start doing things like uh they start peter pan but then they put pause on it because what should happen but world war ii World War II puts a really big pause on, like, all the production of films in general, right? Disney is descending into madness because he doesn't have his Oscar. And on top of that, studios are starting to unionize, which I think, um, given where we are right now, it's kind of interesting to talk about how unions play a role in this. So other studios are starting to unionize. Disney's people go to him and they're like, hey... Could we have a union? And he's like, no. And they're like, why not? And he's like, because I'm Papa Disney. And Papa Disney gives you all you need. He literally calls everybody in and is like, hey, listen. It is an honor and a privilege to work for me, Papa Disney. Because I pay you really well and I give you beautiful animation chairs. And if you don't like my beautiful animation chairs and my uh, nice food that I provide at the cafeteria, then you can just see yourself out. Well, what the man didn't understand was that people cared more about a union than they cared about him or his plight to win an Oscar. Because the other thing is he was like, y'all didn't win me my Oscar. So why would I unionize? So this does have a point to Cinderella, I promise. This is just my favorite story to talk. So Disney rolls up to the Disney lot the next day and everybody is protesting. Literally everyone is out in these streets and you should look up the signs that people have. They're like, they have Disney or they have Mickey Mouse holding like a picket sign. It's this whole thing. They ha- it, It's just, everyone's like, Disney sucks. Disney does not understand. He's like, I am Papa Disney. Why doesn't the world love me? And his brother Roy, who really did most of it, was like, well, you should just unionize. And Disney is like, no, 
I don't have an Oscar. And so Disney's chiropractor is like, hey, um, you should go to this train convention in Marceline, uh, which I believe is in Indiana. No, Minnesota, Minnesota. Marceline, Minnesota, which is where Disney spent about three years of his childhood. But he, like, looked back on it as, like, the best time of his life. And he, like, had this over-romanticization of Marceline. That's why we have Main Street in Disneyland. Um, He goes to this train convention. And while he's doing this train convention, Roy calls him up and he's like, Hey, we need to make Cinderella. Can I unionize? And he's like, I don't give a shit. He's like, build me a warehouse. So he's like, okay. Disney comes back from this train convention in Marceline. And is like, I just had an epiphany. So while everyone's making Cinderella, what he thinks is going to win him his Dan Mouskart, spoiler alert, it doesn't, um, the, uh, every, or he builds this big warehouse where he's building a full-size train model that you can ride and producers will come and he's like hey bring your kids to the lot they can ride the train and there's literally pictures of disney a grown-ass man sitting on this little train wearing a full conductor costume and he's driving all these little kids on a train and every and variety shows up to interview him and they're like hey walt how's cinderella coming he's like don't know don't care look at my train and so the man is descending into madness. And all he wants to talk about is a stupid train. Well, Cinderella was the biggest box office hit since Snow White. Everyone's like, Disney's back. He did it. He's come back. This is the Disney we know and love. Disney could give less of a shit. Because he calls everybody into this warehouse. And he's like, I brought you all here today to show you my train. And so after he t- puts on his little conductor costume and takes a ride around the track, he gets off it and goes... Now, what if you could do that in a whole park? And that, my friends, is the story of how Disneyland okay. was created. Not, I don't want to hear that he saw a merry-go-round and was like, oh, what about the kids? No, he didn't care about the kids. He cared about the trains. Um, that tracks. Yeah. So yeah. that is my I also, story. if you saw me making faces during that, it's because I found photos of the signs. Um, yes. And look the, up the signs and look up um the photos of Disney on the train. It's literally like he is a grown ass man and it's like a little train. It's a little train and he's his like leg, his knees are sticking up and he's letting yep. all these children you can you can ride the very train today. It's in some historical site in California. Yeah. And it's my dream to ride it. Well, also, I just want to say, if you're listening to this and have not yet looked up photos of these signs, which, like, go, just think about the fact that these are, like, animators who are on strike. Yeah, so they were Um, pretty creative. Like, there's a really good one with Pinocchio on it, drawn exactly as he is in the film that says, there are no strings on me. Um, Honestly, kind of obsessed with these. It's, yeah, it is um, one of my, which granted the whole strike happened about 10 years before Cinderella came out. Um, so this was like an ongoing thing. But when when right. we talk about the history of Cinderella, I'm like, yeah, you're asking me to tell the story about Disney's obsession with trains. And everyone's like, that's not what we're asking. I'm like, yes, it is. Because it is my favorite. Story. It is what I was asking, actually. It is my favorite um, story to tell. 
Um, and do not tell me, do not tell me that that's not correct. It is. I've done extensive research on this. I don't want to hear that he just wanted to build a nice family-friendly place. No, he wanted people to love him the way that he loved trains. Yeah. That's why there's a train at the Disneyland. Yeah. I also, am I wrong? Is there a train in every Disney park? You're not Like every Disney resort? You're not wrong. And that's why. Yeah. Because it all started, they they said like, it all started with the mouse. No, it really all started with the train. (laughs) Because this man went, it's like in the documentary I watched, like it shows him at this freaking train convention in Marceline and it would be like if they had the Eddie Munson convention and I was the only attendee because I say this with so much love. If there was an Eddie Munson convention, I would stay away from it. Yeah. It's like yeah. if I was the only attendee, if you were to like let me walk onto the Stranger <laughs> Things set and like see the Eddie Munson costume, I would make the same face Walt Disney, a grown man, makes when he sees this train in Marceline. That tracks. That tracks. I love this. It's on a train. (laughs) Oh my god. Um, Well, I love that. Genuinely love that. Listen, I will... I, like Disney, will derail the train. um, I love this. Any chance I get. But the (laughs) point is, Cinderella did not win Disney his Oscar. No. And the first best picture... Disney film to even be nominated for best picture was Beauty and the Beast, which was until the 90s. So... yeah. So, you know, good try, Walt. Um, honestly, though, Disney history is fascinating because it's so fun and quirky with things like that. It's so fun and quirky. It's so fraught with so much, like, complicated history. Um, and I so much of it is just, like, personal weirdness. Personal things. weirdness. Also, like, I don't know. It, if we really want to get into it, like, Again, I could tell you the whole story of Song of the South of like just some of the like, yeah, you know, there that element I find I'm not in the way like obviously that's very wrong, but like I always find it interesting learning about how different studios went about that. Um, kind of the creation of you know what was when you look at what was a flop versus what wasn't, at least back then. You know, today, obviously, there's a bit more to it because, like, they crank out things at a rapid pace, but, like, they didn't have that ability back then, right? So you would get, like, one movie every, like, two, three years. And so looking at, like, what was a hit versus what was a flop and, like, politics around that's all very interesting. And so I frankly could do a whole series on Disney history that's, like, not even, like, a Disney adult. Um, Let me know if you want that because literally... It is my favorite subject in the world to talk more so than Eddie Munson. I would rather literally now. I'm like, where's the Disney history podcast, Lex? Like, oh, let let me know because I literally prefer talking about. I like talking about Disney history more than I like talking about Eddie Munson, which means a lot. Which says a lot because I fucking love talking about Eddie Munson. (laughs) But yeah. So, anyways, um, back to our regularly scheduled programming that was disney that was lex has been begging someone to let her tell that story publicly um, i love that so there all you had to do was say cinderella and i was like here we go well to to get back on the train tracks um <laughs> what is your letter grade for all about you an a okay like, i'm gonna give it, I an give it a sunset boulevard yeah but so like, like in, a, for me. in a tunnel 
Yeah, like that's the thing. Sunset Boulevard's an A plus for me, but I would give okay. it all about even A. Okay, I'm gonna give it an A plus, and then to make you answer the difficult question, is it a great, fine, or bad Best Picture win? And you're allowed to say that you think it's a great Best Picture win, but you would not have picked it this year. Yeah, I mean, then then, then that's what I'll say. Because, like, I do think it is a great Best Picture win, because, again, it, but arguably so does Sunset Boulevard. It is a little bit interesting that both movies kind of talk about, or both Sunset Boulevard and All About Eve, which were the two kind of most successful films, not yeah. even necessarily of that year, but of the Oscar season, yeah. You have like these two movies at the forefront that are about women focused in their career and kind of the madness around fame. Um, mm-hmm. And I just, Norma Desmond's my dream role. I feel like that's not surprising. Um, kill it. I, <laughs> my Jimmy Stewart impression is one thing. My Gloria Swanson impression is <laughs> If you catch me drunk enough, I have performed the entire last scene. I love that. If you get me drunk and I'm near some stairs. Okay. I will go down those stairs with my hands like this. And I'll go, I can't go on with the scene. I'm too happy. Mr. DeMille, do you mind if I say a few words? Thank you. The next time we're drinking together, I'm going to ask for a performance of Well, this. there better be stairs because I can't do it without stairs. I have to pull well, down the stairs. I'll ensure there are stairs. I'll find you stairs. Preferably not like straight downstairs, like sweeping stairs. Like sweeping. Okay. Okay, I'll work on um, it. Yeah. (laughs) I can't tell you how happy I am to be back in the studio making a picture again. God, I love that movie. Um, Please listen. Andrew Lloyd Webber. Hey, buddy. Hi. (laughs) Um, Phantom's Gone. Burn in Hell. (laughs) Sorry. uh bad cinderella is probably gonna join it uh, i give it two weeks and so you don't want i understand that you don't want to break your streak all right it's been like what since 1979 since you yeah. had a show on broadway didn't have a show on broadway i know that you just revived sunset boulevard i know that production is cursed got you sued and it's also was physically impossible for it to recoup but who's to say you couldn't try one more time and put me as Norma Desmond, even though I am 28 years old? We could um, He could do like a black box production. All he needs is stairs. Literally, um, that's all the Majestic is right now is a black box. Just put <laughs> me in there. Um, oh, God. That's one. Yeah. See, I could do it. Um, Perfect. Anyways, that's my answer is that it is a great <laughs> nomination, despite the fact that I obviously would have given it to Sunset Boulevard. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm going to say it's great because it's one of my favorites. Um, yeah, I feel like it's it's just an all-around... It's a film that has held up since 1950, and I still would think if it won today, it was a good winner. So... Yeah. Yeah. Well, Nate, um, Nicole, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me at Nicole Ackman 16 on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd. You can find me um, yelling at the sun about Walt Disney's obsession with trains. Again, I'm not joking. Someone please ask me about my favorite Disney history moments because I have a lot of them. Um, But you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at at LexWilly, W-I-L-L-I underscore, and on TikTok at at MoonshoesLexi. 
Um, thank you very much for joining us um, for this special episode of Best Picture Rewind. Join us next week where we will be talking about a movie that did not win this year, but won a couple years ago. Um, All Quiet on the Western Front, the original one. And we will also be pulling the next five films for us to visit. So stick around for that. Um, But until then, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. Have a good one.